Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. I'm so pleased to have your company. My younger brother Leo died last week and we farewelled him last Friday. We held a celebration of life. He was 49. He died of cancer. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for your kind thoughts. It means the world to me. I hope to spend some time on the Camino next year in his honour. This is a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. And the Camino is a UNESCO-recognised heritage site that is a site of global significance. Ask the majority of people who have walked the ancient pilgrimage and they'll tell you it has an incredibly significant place in their lives, their psyche. Pilgrims have walked the Camino for centuries. People walk these days for a range of reasons. More often than not, it's to connect with the Camino's famous mystical and spiritual presence. I've walked only two Caminos, and I'm a rookie compared to most. But I walked with an open heart and an open mind, and on return, I found a new me. If that sounds new age-ish, so be it. If it sounds unlikely, have a listen to the more than 140 episodes that precede this edition. My guests talk about renewal and about finding themselves. They talk about the people they met, the experiences they lived and shared. They talk about the history and the culture. Again, that word significance, the significance of walking in the footsteps of millions of pilgrims before them. What's clear to me, even as a rookie, is the Camino has much to offer the open heart. The question ought to be, as you prepare to step foot on the Camino... Am I open to what it has to offer? The famed German-born Dutch-Jewish diarist Anne Frank said, No one has ever become poor by giving. Giving to others is really a gift to ourselves, isn't it? Well, my guest this week is the Australian pilgrim Tony Jakes. I've interviewed Tony before. He loves the Camino and has walked many times. But this time was different. I'll let him tell the story. Welcome, Pilgrim. Uh, good day, Dan. Nice to hear you. Yeah, nice to talk to you too. Well, tell us about this latest journey, this amazing pilgrimage. Uh, this, this one is just incredible. Um, I got into the I'll Push You scene with the film and the book of the Justin and Patrick, who um, Justin has got... Um, uh, motor neuron style disease and it uh, paralyzes him from the neck down. It's getting progressively worse. Um, and in 2014, his best friend, Patrick, actually um, said, yep, I'll push you and took him to Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port and pushed him in a wheelchair from Saint-Jean along the Camino Francaise to Santiago. Um, it really is an outstanding story of love and courage and effort and everything else, and it's just wonderful. So I was involved with that um, in terms of we uh, got the film and put it on a Mount Vic Flicks, and it was a packed house. We've shown it a number of times around the place because they're able to let people um, use it. And then in December last year, um, they came to all their friends and people had bought stuff and actually said they would love to take an accessible Camino and take um, wheelchair pilgrims uh, on the Camino. And then um, that all 
uh, first, sorry, first we had to, uh, they uh, go through interviews. And I've got a good friend in Blackheath, um, Graham Belitha, and he had wanted desperately to do the Camino. And after Vietnam, he's a Vietnam vet and is on crutches. So it was something that didn't look like it was going to happen. Um, this came along. That was the uh, opportunity. We contacted and put our names in, and we were interviewed over the internet, uh, which was fun. And then we were told we were selected. So that all happened in January, and we knew that we were then having to do some work, get a wheelchair, because he could only possibly walk two to four kilometers each day, and some of the stretches were 20k and a little bit more. So, um, yep, that was it. The excitement started mounting. We searched everywhere for um, wheelchairs that might work um, cross-country, and they're not very easy to find. Yeah. So, we en mm -hmm. yeah, we ended up going to um, finally found a place, Melrose, um, they make rugby wheelchairs and other very rugged chairs for what is aptly tamed mur murder ball, rugby wheelchair. Yeah. Um, usually of titanium and, and other things. And then they ended up by... Um, I, we eventually found they had a Spartacus chair, which was not like the normal wheelchair with the smaller wheels at the front. This one had larger wheels at the front. And the first one was made from an Australian who does tough mudder racing um, so that he can actually use it in mud and uh, cross-country. So we ended up at the last minute being able to get that. It cost us $9,400. Yep, and was made in New Zealand. And they actually got it to us two weeks before we left. Um and they shipped it in the first instance without the rear wheels, which was going to be very hard to push. <laughs> um, <laughs> they ended up, they, they managed to get the wheels to us. We didn't get much time to train with it. And then Graham brought it across with him. So we all uh, started assembling here the 29th of, of September at uh, the Hotel Gelmires. And what we had is we had 55 people in the party. Goodness. And we had, we had 12 people who were um, disabled or less abled than other people. Some had been in wheelchairs all their life, uh, MS. We had a chap called Michael with cerebral palsy, and he bought his own trike, the sit-down three-wheel trike. Um, there were two ladies um, from a place in America, and they called themselves with their pusher, two tushes, one pushes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had um, oh, just, just all sorts. Uh, we had a tiny little lass, and there's a photograph of her. She's in a wheelchair but can walk. Um, we had a firefighter lady who had... Um, fallen down a ravine during wildfire firefighting and had been uh, broken her back, so she ended up in a wheelchair. Um, and we had Cindy, our blind lady, um, 
and she came with her uh, eyes and ears, her her person, Shauna, who who guides her. Cindy does Langlaff skiing, and Shauna is her guide, and sort of skates or skis behind, saying left a bit, right a bit, um, snowplow now, slow down. Goodness. And that's how she that's how she competes. We have people who compete downhill skiing in on on the single ski and those things. So then, of course, there was Justin and Patrick, um, a couple of videographers and lots of helpers. So we were the pushers. Right. (laughs) What's one word that would sum up the whole experience for you, do you think? Love. Love. You know, I've watched Patrick and... Justin, so we're talking about Patrick Gray and Justin Skisuck, who uh, yes. pa- Patrick pulled, uh, pushed Justin, and the movie is I'll Push You, and the book as well, yes. and they do TED Talks and, and everything as well. I, can I be honest? Yep. I was surprised, Tony, to see mm-hmm. them involved. I thought that Justin had, forgive me, but he had deteriorated significantly, as I understood it. Um, yeah. That must have been an incredible effort. Yes, um, they put it together. They did every single part of it. Patrick was an absolute dynamo. And on one of the days where we went uh, 20 kilometres, he went 28 up and down the line. Um, they are just wonderful people. So, yes, with uh, Justin, I'm not sure if he had deteriorated. Maybe he might have lost more function. Because he doesn't have a lot of function below the neck. Right. But he was able to bring his son, Justin. Um, sorry, his son, Jaden. And uh, he helped push. Um, there were people from all over the place. There was a, a doctor from uh, Casualty in, um, uh, in a hospital that Patrick and um, Justin had gone and given a inspirational talk to and three came from there so we had doctors we had nurses we had trauma specialists we had uh, just wonderful people and um, one of the people in the wheelchairs she was a missionary and she'd been in Africa as a missionary and contracted a disease and finally managed to get something uh, fixed up in a hospital outside of the country but it put her in the wheelchair um, and she was there with her husband. Um, just, just an outstanding group. So, Justin appeared pretty good. Um, yeah. I didn't see him falter at all. Um, he, he was absolutely a strength behind everything, and uh, uh, Patrick was wonderful. Goodness. And now, you said that the word, Tony, that ex- that summed it up best for you was love. So h- yeah. how, did that, how did that manifest in, in the day-to-day running of the show? It would have been a logistical, an extraordinary logistical effort. And yet yeah, well, I have a feeling that Patrick and Justin, there's a lot of love between those two and their experiences over the last, well, they've known each other since they were babies. So, yes. so th- there's a great, l- a great love between them, and then they would have used that to encourage everybody else on that same path. Yes, well, they, they partnered with 
Camino Ways, who are a group out of Ireland, um, who did much of the planning. They got a couple of buses. One was an accessible bus with a lift on the side where you could put the wheelchairs in and lock them down. Um, we, they had five guides with us all the time, and they were positioned up and down. Uh, by love, the guides who were guiding us often would jump in and haul and pull, and they weren't just telling us where to go and how to do it. They ended up very much part of the uh, part of this Camino family, and the family was unconditional. It everybody helped everyone else. So when I first met Cindy, the blind lady, I was very careful not to not to grab her or to you know basically announce where I was and how close I was and um, it was great that they took us in their arms. A couple of the guys, a couple of the ladies found it very hard to um, give up a bit of their independence because as you know, Dan, when you're doing the Camino, things happen that are out of your control mm. and you have to believe in something higher or someone else or ask a member of your Camino family to help you. Otherwise, nearly everybody doing it the hard way can't get through. And these, these people are such courageous people with disabilities. Um, they don't think of it as a disability, just um, they only look at what their abilities are. And for them, they rarely ask anyone for anything. They, it's almost a badge of, of, of honor that they will fight to be as independent as they can be. And yet here, going down rocks, we went the complete pilgrim's path from Saria, and the first two days were absolutely atrocious. Um, <laughs> yeah, as that, you would know. The, that, 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 oh, that was one of my questions down the track. Uh, we went Saria, no, Saria to Porta Marin, and then Porta Marin, yes, and all the way from there. Wow. And you took the pilgrim's uh, paths. Yep. The first day we started, it was a long bus trip because the accessible hotel in Santiago was where we had to come back to because there weren't enough uh, accommodation that was appropriate along the way. Right. So the, the first day, we didn't start from Saria till 11. Um, we didn't finish till 9. We didn't get back and have a meal till 11. And people were collapsing into beds, having been helped and sorted. And we were up again and going at 6 the next morning. So the first two days were a bit tough because the path was tough. But when you see... Everybody, there were ropes clipped front and rear to all these different chairs. There were people running up and down. Somebody would help one chair come down a really bad bit. Um, and then they would run back up that hill and clip onto the next chair and then help them. Um, sometimes people would carry the whole chair. Um, the, it was just magnificent. Graham was uh, Graham Belitho. Um, where he could, he would walk down the rockier bits because that was easier for us and across the stone bridge and things like that. Now, with the wheelchair, for us, it was slightly um, unbalanced because we hadn't been able to get it fitted. 
And in the first day, it slammed back on me as the push-up, so it was my fault in a way, because when the two guys at the front put a strain on and um, the, the, the wheelchair then lifted at the front, it couldn't be held on the rocky side going uphill. So oh, we damaged ourselves, uh, uh, but not badly. Uh, broken glasses, that sort of thing. So I then worked out how we could better manage that. But on the third day, on a difficult stretch, one of the ladies was there and I was on the strap at the front. And he went back again. Um, and she dug into her hands on the ground and, and a bit of blood flowed and had, that had to be fixed, but she wouldn't, wouldn't stop. But Graham actually fractured his jaw on that one. Goodness. Because the crutches hit him in the face. And you never heard a peep out of him about it. Um, they were in awe of the fact that uh, he thought it was a miracle, a Camino miracle, because that meant that he had to have soft-boiled eggs and beer. <laughs> <laughs> So, so now this is this is let's just clarify that this is Graham Blyther who went with you. Yep. So he's an old friend of yours, a Vietnam a Vietnam veteran who went with you. Yes, he, yeah. He and his wife came together. She was his carer. Um, he has uh, things he needs constantly attended to after Vietnam. Um, but he was there, sitting in the chair and uh, dispensing a lot of chat jokes. Um, People loved him. He wore a crocodile dundee look-alike hat. And um, everybody got to know that we were Aussies, and especially because I put bored Vegemite to the first breakfast. <laughs> so so let, let's talk about the chair itself, because I know that uh, if you only had it for the two weeks beforehand, you wouldn't have got used to it and I think now we're starting to hear that you you really you really had a very difficult time as well but you've decided to leave it there haven't you yes uh, what occurred is we we had to fundraise for it that was a big expense we didn't want to fundraise for ourselves we felt that would be wrong and we actually um, we got four and a half thousand out of uh, veteran sport Australia allied to the RSL uh, we got 500 from Tattersall's City Club. Uh, we did a fundraising night at Mount Vic Flicks and managed to get a 1,000. Um, and then donations and everything else came in. So the chair was paid for in the end. And what, I, what we decided to do at the end was to try to leave it in Santiago um, because it was so hard to get and it was so specialised and expensive that we felt that uh, disabled Australians or veterans uh, might get a very good um, use of it if we could leave it in a place where people could then um, book it and come across and use it. And if possible, if, if they were part of the Arpushu or whatever type idea, uh, they would get it for free. So um, I went through Jill um, Kanga, the... Uh, Jill Hill, who's a, a barrister in Sydney, but is a moderator on the Camino Forum, went to see Ivar at the Camino Forum, uh, which is the largest website. I think he's got 
33,000 people mm. on that site. Mm. Uh, Johnny Walker, Johnny, um, he, he lives in Santiago. Uh, the people from the Pilgrim House, I managed to stitch together a group of people who I think in time will, will put this um, and make it work. Um, Ivar has stored it in his luggage room. He's now going to, <coughs> excuse me, put on his website a... Um, accessible Camino page, a complete page, so that um, he, he got very interested, I think, and began to see the possibilities for people who dream of doing such a thing, sighted, unsighted, and any any type. And uh, then at that page, we can all share and help people do it. And then through there, maybe linked to hiring the chair. How fantastic. Well, if you ever need any help, you let me know. I'd be, I'd be really pleased to be involved in something like that. I think that's a fantastic, Thanks, a fantastic concept. Yeah. Now, you're ex-military. Yep. Does the discipline from your past or did the discipline from your past provide ballast for what you've undertaken this last Camino, do you think? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I'm, I'm reasonably organised, so... I do try to plan things, um, and I've got a little bit of determination. So uh, <laughs> what I found hard was that the, the pushers and pullers were so fit that I had to do the Camino and much faster than I would normally walk. And when you do Caminos faster than your own pace, um, that's when you can get a bit hurt yourself. So well, I actually found that. That was the problem for me. They were going too bloody fast. But how, is that, how on earth are they able to go faster than you would normally walk when they're pushing someone? Pushing and pulling that, they just clip on and away they go. Um, really? It, it, but talking about the acts of love, that's where, you know, when, when I'd be pushing on the flat and before we got to the hill, uh, two people would appear and clip on and just start motoring up the hill and one of the hills out of Port of Marin or <laughs> later on was 10 kilometers stretch right from the beginning so we were up and walking at 8 uh, 8 a 9 a.m and we were still going uh, 10 kilometers later without a break constant uphill so just just t- that- so Tony sorry just I'm going to interrupt you just quickly so are you saying yeah, that there are, there are people in front of the pusher, and they're, yes. they're what, are they, what are they wearing? Like a harness? Are they like? Yep, everybody had fashioned harnesses. Some had waist belts. Some, I, I'd got some long slings, um, climbing slings, and there were points on the front of the chair. Two points at the front. Oh, um, and I would also at the back of my chair uh, of Graham's chair, I would actually uh, clip on so that. There are no brakes on most chairs, so the only braking downhill is the person behind and oh, the guy in the chair trying to slow the wheels. Goodness um, me, that must have been at, on some of those downward treks yep. quite extraordinarily yep. different. Yep. And oh, wow. what would happen is um, people would just come around and, and people would... There'd be three, four. There'd be guys hanging onto the back of other guys to 
um, slow things down as we went downhill. Um, Gosh, there were that's the, the, straps we, the straps we had on the front of the chair, um, they were smart and got long straps, so they could drop back and be actually behind the pusher, who at that stage was the stopper. Um, and then that V-shape um, goes down a steep bit as carefully as possible. Goodness um, me. But all of that, everybody gave every bit of themselves. You know, you and I have talked before here about the energy of the Camino. I'm, yeah. I'm certain you would have felt the energy this last trip. Oh, I, I think this trip, for me, encapsulated it all. Mm. Um, also, the Camino family, the couple of the ladies in the wheelchairs, because they're so determinedly independent, um, didn't want help. They were a bit closed. They were, you know, I can do this sort of thing. Especially one who would do a wheelie all the way down hills. So she would tilt her chair back and controlling with her hands, she would go straight past, straight down the hill. Um, she, she was that independent. But then she got to the bottom of the hill and could only take momentum a certain distance and then had to be be pushed but that pride that strength of character then they learn to turn that into uh, an acceptance with good grace of other people helping and they actually learned that it's okay to ask for help mm. especially when you can't do it all um cindy her sighted guide she was lovely shorter and I was in awe because as she was walking, it was a constant running commentary for eight or ten hours. Uh, things like metal here, rock there, you're on pavement, now grass, bit of mud, uh, to the left your trees. Um, Mr. Tony and the others are up ahead, um, so-and-so's behind. This, and she would describe the scene and the weather and, and everything else and give... Um, give her a, a clear indication of where she was going. And Shauna told me that on the third day when they came down a hill, we'd, we were still walking at 7 p.m. They were, it was Pala uh, de Rey. She was pretty, they were both shattered. They were absolutely exhausted. And two kilometers from the end, one of the helpers, because we all just mixed and matched, um, just stepped in, uh, asked permission, and took the other arm for Cindy. And she said, Cindy straightened up and went like a rocket. And Shauna, the guide, the one who has been with Cindy for years, said she'd never, ever thought about having two people in certain places. Um, so things like that just mm. meant that simple acts became enormous. Yeah. And, yeah, and you and I have also talked in the past about how surprised some people are on the Camino at other people's capacity to help, and, yes. and, and often you find yourself surprised at your own tendency to help and capacity to help. I, yes. I, I can imagine that as difficult as this all sounds, and I have to say it sounds very difficult, it was yeah. you would have been just buoyed by the enthusiasm and, and, and the experience. 
Yep, it welded everybody into a family from day one. Yeah. Uh, there were things in their hotels. Somebody would send out a, a message, help, could you come to room whatever? I need a bit of additional help. And others would immediately go and, and assist whatever was going on. Uh, people were ill. People, w One of the ladies was nearly comatose for the last day. Everybody was monitoring, making sure she was okay. Um, she dehydrated a bit the day before because she didn't want to go to the loo, that sort of thing, and um, had not taken on board enough liquid. Um, but everybody was monitoring, checking, um, helping each other, um, finding out how people were, going back to get them, do, doing everything they possibly could. And it just became a wonderful family. Yeah. Uh, where did you actually start? Saria, where you started the train station. So they got the buses into the train station. And I think the first marker was something like 111K. Right, right. And, so and basic, basically we went over the 100. Yeah, and so how many days did it take you? Six. Well, you didn't muck around. Boy, you didn't muck around. So you, no. you've talked about some days being sort of 12, 15-hour days. What was the average? Yeah. I think the average was probably 10 hours, uh, 10, 8 hours maybe, 8 to 10. Goodness. So tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela. <laughs> yeah. I've been dying to ask that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we... Um, we assembled at Monte de Goza, and all the way along, there were guys doing the video shoot and, and still photos. And these guys would take their photographs and then put the camera down and leap in. Um, they were pulling and pushing and doing everything. But uh, Monte de Goza, we all got ourselves together in a group. We had photographs around those statues pointing out to Santiago. We then went down the hill to get to um, um, the old city, and then we assembled at the um, at the side of the Pilgrim's Gate. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we all got in there. Um, it was wheelchairs to the front, and then in a group went into the square. And sorry. <laughs> It was great. Um, everybody clapping, everybody cheering, and tears streaming down. Yeah, I've I've seen the, some of the photographs, and boy, there's a it, it is a powerful scene. It's in, it's amazing. Yeah, what what I found is that when we were walking, we took as much time as we could to talk to everyone, and people were amazed, and people sprinted and followed and joined in and they came from other parts of the Camino to try to catch up and, and come for some of them. There were friends some had made. A couple of us walked the Camino just in preparation from Saint-Jean just to get the eye in and as we talked to people then people came forward. Um, it, it, it was wonderful. So you had walked, you had walked from Saint-Jean to Saria and, and along the way, now, telling people what you had done, or yeah, what we were going to do. What you were going I, I to do, yeah. Saint Jean, 
Yeah, I walked Saint-Jean to Logroño um, because I slowed down in the end. I didn't want to to not not be in a good state. So I wanted two weeks just to get going. But during that period, spent time talking to pilgrims and chatting and with that family. Um, uh, Peggy Sue, who'd come to meet with us in Australia on holiday before um, before she actually did the trip, she walked the whole lot. So she walked to Saria and then... Um, got herself to Santiago and then did the last piece with the with the group. Um, a fella from New Zealand um, who's the fittest bloke I've ever seen. Um, he, he just blitzed from Saint-Jean to Santiago and then proceeded to help from there on. Um, I was slightly um, unsurprised when I met him uh, that the Camino had actually humbled him. He's, he does mountain running and all sorts of things and thought, you know, pretty good and away he went. Um, he got to the point where um, some of the road walking absolutely hurt him. So he actually had to repair. Um, but it was the usual thing of the Camino um, being a hard a hard lady, but also uh, teaching a bit of humility, I think, as well. Can you cast your mind back to before you went and what mm. you pictured this Camino would be like in the, in the theatre of your mind? And I wondered, yep. did it meet your expectations? Uh, yes. I had got to know Patrick and Justin a, a little bit in the past. Um, for example, when I walked uh, last year... I was talking about I'll Push You because it's a favourite thing and showing them the TEDx talk on YouTube, showing the pilgrims TEDx talk. And one day uh, I was in the middle of the Camino coming down a hill uh, where those bodegas are, the, the um, wine stores in mm. the hill. Mm. And as I came down in the early morning and went and had a second breakfast, somebody said, oh, there he is, that's the bloke from Australia who's talking about I'll Push You. And um, I got called across to a guy who turned out to be Patrick's best friend. Ah. Uh, so, so he then took a selfie of us and sent it to Patrick a year ago um, to say that, uh, that there's this strange Australian talking about Arpushu and here he is. <laughs> so all those linkages occur. But yeah, the, the actual walk was very close, very close to what I thought it was going to be. Um, not in terms of pressure and, and how hard it was. Um, that almost was a given, but I didn't know what the, what the levels were going to be. I knew that the chairs coming down the hills and over the rocks and up the hills was going to be an issue. Um, probably the longer days surprised me a bit because the hardest two days were the first two and everybody was just getting in. Um, the guy on the trike, uh, Michael... Um, on one day had three punctures. Um, so we had to repair as we went as well. You know, so that, that side of it was slightly different. Yeah. You know, we could hear in your voice the emotion um, when you talked about arriving in Santiago. And I know, I know yep. you're, you're still there now. That's where you're talking to us from, from to this morning. It's early in the morning there. Uh, and, yep. But you're, you're about to go off and walk to, to Finisterre, I think, or Mushia, aren't you? 
Yeah, I have a task to finish. Um, a great friend of ours, C and I, um, has given me a rock. He's he's got something he wants to unload. So I will finish to Finisterra and uh, Mushia and then throw that rock in the ocean for him. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. You know, Tony, uh, have a tough kind of week here. Um, and your story has just cheered me up so much. As we were walking along, I talked to villagers. You know the villagers who stand there? And yeah. They, they've seen a million pilgrims, the old ladies with their headscarves and that sort of thing. Yeah. And they would, they would come and talk animatedly and say, where are you going? And we'd explain. And the light would come on in their eyes because to them this was the Camino. Well, that's about as good as it gets. So that's as good as it gets. Look, I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say I'm proud to call you a mate of mine. I think, <laughs> I think you've done Australia proud. I think you've done Graham proud. And, and I'm sure he's delighted to have been able to take part in this wonderful, wonderful journey. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we talked, we've talked to you and me about... Uh, the Camino Shine. I think it was, I talked about how when you finished last time, last year I was talking to you when you were at the airport about to fly back to Australia and I, st- I started by saying, <laughs> yeah. he's still got the Camino Shine. Uh, so <laughs> yep. so yep. I, I think you're going to have that Camino Shine for quite some time. I don't think it's going yeah. anywhere, Tony. Oh, I, I, I think what's lovely is I reckon this family of uh, people who are now one will stay together. And there'll be people from Canada and people from New Zealand and people from the US popping in to say good day to their Australian mates and vice versa. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll all be together. You know, an, an American girl said to me in the town square in Los Arcos, after a very spirited and in-depth conversation, she said to me, Dan... I hope all your favorite bands stay together. And I thought, that's one of the nicest blessings anybody's ever given me. And then I ran yeah, into a few yeah. days later, and she said, it's the name of a song. And I said, oh. <laughs> and and it's, it's a line in a song yeah. by an American band called The Doors. Not The Doors, yeah, yeah. but D-A-W-E-S, Doors. And, yep. and the chorus says, I hope, you're, I hope life without a chaperone is all you thought it'd be. I hope your brother's El Camino lasts forever. I hope that you're the yeah. same person that you always were to me and may all your favourite bands stay together. So right. I, I hope your favourite band stays together, Tony. I think it will. And by the way, um, Sandra, who came with Graham as his carer, and it was really their trip. We all tried to... They were called captains, each one who was um, being needed to be helped. And those captains made the uh, judgment calls on what they wanted and needed. But Sandra wasn't that well. She looked after uh, Graham, but she travelled on the bus quite often, um, charmed the, um, the bus drivers and everyone else. <laughs> and in the end... In the end, the bus drivers had stopped the bus to introduce him, her to his entire family, who then were calling her mum. And when people were handed certificates, 
the bus drivers had got together to get her a certificate. She couldn't talk. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's just such a great story. <laughs> look, yeah. look, we, we can hear the bells in the background. Uh, yep. our, our, you know what? I'm going to say our thanks to you because I, I, I wanted to say congratulations, but I also want to say thanks because you kind of rekindled the, the faith in human spirit, all of you. Just a yeah. great, yeah. great story. Just a great story. Tony, walk on. Long may your heart dance to the rhythm of your soul. Walk on, Pilgrim. Congratulations to you, to everyone involved. A great story. So thanks very much for your time, Tony, and Buen Camino. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Buen Camino. Bye. My guest this week, the Australian Pilgrim, Tony Jakes, and I began talking about Anne Frank and the quote, no one has ever become poor by giving. I thoroughly enjoyed this week's chat, and I hope you did too. My album, Duende, is available for purchase and download on all streaming platforms, and you can sponsor me if you're inclined as well. Just go to patreon.com forward slash danmullins or danmullinsmusic.com. Another week drifts by. It's another week I'm closer to walking another pilgrimage. Thank you for your company. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. That you've always been to me And may all your favorite bands Stay together